great to see you guys today. And while you're getting those Bibles, why don't we go ahead and stand and we will read our text together today. 2 Corinthians is where we're at. We're starting a new book today. And uh, we're going to do things a little bit different. Uh, As usual, we're going through the word, verse by verse, line upon line. Um, But we're going to take Sunday mornings uh, to be a bit more of an in-depth study of whatever chapter we're in. And then we'll take Wednesday nights to go verse by verse, verse through the entire chapter. So don't miss Wednesday nights coming on out and uh, getting the whole context of everything uh, as we gather together regularly with one another as the scriptures call us to. Uh, but Second Corinthians, today our text will be uh, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, It is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Guys, go ahead and be seated. So this morning in verses 3 through 11, we title the sermon, The God of All Comfort. And it starts out with a doxology. It starts out with a praise Blessed be the God. Now, blessed means something different here in this New Testament context than it has in our Psalms, as we've seen the word blessed used so often. And in the New Testament, it means praise. Praise God. In the New Testament, it's a a word used only to speak to God. Blessed be God. Just as in Revelation, it's a verse I don't have on the screen, Jeremy, so don't go scrambling for it. But in Revelation, one day when we are all before the throne of God in heaven, we will sing out with all the creatures in heaven, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And so today we get to say, blessed be the God and Father. And one day we will all be together with every tribe, tongue, nation, angel, and creature singing, blessed be the God and Father and blessed be the Lamb. Praise to Him. Glory to Him. Honor to Him. Recently with the men, we went through Ephesians and I came home and went through Ephesians with my family and we've been trying to memorize one verse from every chapter of Ephesians and chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so as we come today to worship and to praise God, our praise to God is something that is apart from how we're feeling today or the mood or the vibe that we're getting in any specific place. How great the guitars sound or how great the worship band sound or how bad they were or, you know, did they have a fog machine going and different light strobes going and that's when I really can worship God. No, we worship God because he has 
blessed us. He has poured out mercy to us. He's given grace to us. And I love how Paul says it there in Ephesians. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's in Jesus that he's done that. And so we today come to the word of God and instead of focusing on ourselves on how I need comfort in this and that, we can just start right out saying, praise God. Praise God. He is good and he is worthy of our worship. But it's in this verse 3 today that we see a couple different names of God. First of all, we see that he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of the Son of God. And as the Jews believed in John, as Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the Jews understood that to mean that Jesus was himself claiming to be God. And that's why they crucified him. As John is all about getting across to us that Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, draped himself in flesh and became a man that he would die for us and forgive us of our sins and glorify himself in his plan of salvation. So God is the father of the Lord Jesus. But another title here is that he's the father of mercy. So God is the father of Jesus and he's the father of mercy. Now, isn't it interesting that that's actually synonymous? Jesus is mercy. God is the father of Jesus and the father of mercy. God is the ancestor of mercy, the leader of mercy. Now, mercy speaks of compassion and pity. Peter tells us, and he worships while he says it, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter tells us, praise God, the father of Jesus, because he has caused us to be born again. It's by his mercy that we are born again. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus coming back from the dead that we will come back from the dead. That we, first of all, have come, if you're a Christian today, out of a place of being dead. We've been quickened, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us. We've been brought back to life because Jesus was brought back to life. And praise God for that. I hope that causes your heart to skip and jump like a calf because that is something that should cause us to be so excited. The psalm tells us that you are the Lord and you are good, ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who would call upon you. The same Psalm 86 says in verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion. You are gracious. You are long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. It is because our God is a God of mercy, abundant mercy, compassion, grace, that what Peter said could even be true, that we could be born again, that we could be quickened, that we could be forgiven of our sins. Daniel says in 9.9, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. So knowing that we've rebelled against him, doesn't it cause you to be so just thankful? And doesn't it cause your heart just to well up with praise and honor and blessing to that God of mercy, the father of mercies? Because we've rebelled against him. I have. I don't know if you'll be honest today. I've rebelled against him and I'm in desperate need of mercy. So not only is God the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only is he the father of mercy, but it's here where we come to in our text today that he is the God of all comfort. And I'll tell you, since my youth, since I was 19 years old, this is a, a verse that has just been seared and branded into my heart that God, one of his names 
is that he's the God of all comfort. Father of mercies, God of comfort, comfort belongs to him. The word comfort in the Greek is two words that mean to come alongside or to come alongside with strength. It means that when the God of all comfort comes along, he gives you a strength that is beyond yourself. Now, a wonderful thing is we've been talking about God the Father and God the Son. We don't want to leave out the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter, and he's called the Helper, and he's called the same word, parakletos, which means comforter. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, for he will dwell with you and be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so we see in John's gospel that one way that we have comfort in all our tribulation is by the third person of the Trinity coming to us and dwelling in us and being with us. The presence of God just more than saturating us, more than being in us, but upon us so very near. You'll never know comfort unless you know Jesus. You'll never know comfort unless the Holy Spirit has come in you and dwelt in your heart and come upon you. He is the parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the God of all comfort. And verse 4 says, who comforts us in all our tribulation, <clears throat> that we may be able to comfort those who are any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a tough verse to say, I'm just letting you know. I think I took three breaths within there because we have classic Paul here almost doing a bit of a run-on sentence. He has the word comfort used four times in this verse alone, let alone the previous and the following verse where we are urged by Paul and implored and there's earnest encouragement that's available for us today, but it's easy for us to read this verse that's been seared into my heart and kind of check out because the word comfort is used so many times. I mean, you kind of reading like comfort with a comfort, like com comfort, and then you go, and there's the comfort, with but don't forget the comfort because of the comfort. Now, it reminded me a little bit as sometimes having words repeated four times or more in a single verse or conversation can make something quite a bit confusing. For instance, my wife and I were watching some TV this week and we were watching a new sitcom called The Grinder where two lawyer brothers, one actually a lawyer and the other brother who played a lawyer on TV once, going into business together in a law firm. Now, these two guys are a little bit at odds and they're trying to keep a secret from each other, but one of their buffoon co-workers is stuck in the middle. At one point, one of the brothers, who's played by the Wonder Years, Fred Savage, says to that buffoon co-worker, you have to promise me something. You can't let Dean know that I know he knows. To which the co-worker says, D Dean, you don't... In no, don't let Dean know that I know he knows. I'm involved in that. Dean, you, I, you... Hey, say it back to me. Don't let Dean know that I know he knows. Okay, I promise, I promise. Are you sure? Because you just let me know that Dean knows. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. So you have got, you've gone and done the opposite. Don't let Dean know that I know he knows. Okay, I got it. I'm not going to repeat it back to you, but I got it. I think I'd feel better if you just repeat it back to me once more so it's clear. Okay, so I'm going to be you and repeat it back to you. No, don't just repeat my words. Say it in your own words so I know you got the message. And Lindsay and I, we had to rewind that. By the way, scene, okay? Uh, Lindsay and I had to rewind that. We were like, that's great writing. It's so confusing and hilarious. 
But Paul does a little bit of that with us. He wants to get a point across. And it's almost like, say it with me. So I know you know you know. Okay? He is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation. That we could go comfort those with the same comfort for which we've been comforted. Woo! Can you say it? Because we go through tribulation. We go through trouble. Tribulation and trouble are used off and on here, but they're the same word, flipsis. I'm not saying it with a lisp. It literally flipsith, okay? And it means affliction, grievous distress from pressing and being squeezed and being broken, anguish and burden and stress and persecution. It's been said that we are either currently in a tr- time of trouble, coming out of a time of trouble, or we're going to be going into a time of trouble very soon. But the good news is, as Isaiah says in 51.12, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Isaiah also says in 66.13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And maybe you come here today and you're in a time of tribulation, trouble, anguish. You are being squeezed to where there's nothing left in you. And the Lord would want you to know, why don't you just come to me and just lay your head on my chest. Just as a mother comforts a child, just come to me to Jesus and I will comfort you. Now, of course, there's the hurting and perhaps the bitter voice that asks If God loves me, then why am I going through this? If he's all-powerful and all-sovereign, why am I facing what I'm facing? Well, you need to understand that we live in a fallen world that has fallen away from God's original design of perfection and goodness and good, 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 as God said, as he created it. Because of our sin and our rebellion, both Adam and Eve's and Rory Rogers, this has led to suffering, which would continue to more rebelling, which would lead to more suffering, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's, it's gone to the point of we are in desperate need of someone to come and save us and redeem us from this suffering. Enter in the hero of it all. God himself. He has suffered. He's not a God who's sitting somewhere, lounging on a beach chair, sipping a lemonade. He is a God who took on flesh and became man. He took part in the human condition. He took part of suffering He was actually known as the suffering servant. He's known as the weeping prophet. And now, having been obedient and having endured, the Bible says that he's at the right hand of the Father and he ever lives to pray for us. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in all things, he had to be made like his brethren So that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. So Jesus who takes that place as our high priest, making atonement for our sins. Being our advocate. Standing in the gap for us. He became a man so that he could do that with an understanding of all the things that we go through on a daily basis. The author of Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 4 verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus took on flesh, he understands what we're going through. 
He understands the temptations that we're facing. He understands what it's like to be betrayed by a friend or by a group of friends. He understands to have only loved people and to have them hate you and try to kill you all the time till they eventually do just that. He understands what it's like to be hungry and to be homeless and to be without the proper clothing. He understands suffering in all points that we do, yet in it, he never sinned. God is also taking our suffering and working something good in it. As Hebrews, or excuse me, Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, there's two things in this. First of all, we don't always see that all things are working together for the good. It hurts. It's painful. It's you know, sorrowful. It's uncertain. I'm not really seeing how this could be good. But we have assurance from God himself that we can know this. And secondly, this isn't a blanket statement just for everybody out there. It's for those that love God. It's for those who are walking according to his purposes. With that being known, that he's doing something good in his children who've been born again, James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So, knowing that God himself has suffered and he hasn't left us alone and he's sympathetic to us, knowing that God is in his sovereignty working something good through my suffering because I've been called to live according to his purposes, brings something in me that can consider it pure joy to something that I actually embrace when I suffer because he is working something good through it. And one of those things happens to be patience. But another thing is found in Romans 5.3. And Paul says, we glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces patience, just like James said, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. So as we go through trials, God in his sovereignty is doing something that no other God can do or even promises to do. And that he has suffered for us and is working something incredible through our lives. You guys have probably heard that the diamond never becomes the diamond before it's the coal that goes through years and years of agonizing pressure in the ground. It's the same with the children of the Lord. Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This tribulation, these hard times that we're going through, we can embrace them and actually say, man, I want to know more of Jesus and I'm not going to know Jesus till I know what he's gone through. 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, we'll be there in a few weeks. Paul says, I'm always carrying about in me, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Again, in Colossians, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So not only has God himself suffered and is now able to be a sympathetic high priest to all who are suffering, but he's working something good in us. And not only is he working something good in us, the suffering we go through is actually preparing us all for ministry. Notice our verse there. He comforts us in all of our trouble so that, there's a purpose in it, we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. The Phillips translation says, so that we in turn may be able to give the same strong sympathy to others in their trials. 
You know, my life started out every boy's dream. Living on a cattle ranch. It was like bonanza. I mean, grandpa started it, and then, you know, the uncles were there. We had Haas and Little Joe and all, you know, and, and just they had kids, and we were just growing up, and we had horses and motorcycles and cattle drives and, you know, just living the dream. You know, you guys know the Prineville dream. Living that dream until the day came when dad said, I'm going back to vet school. We're moving off of the ranch. You know, as a third grader living like, I mean, my dream was to grow up and be a veterinarian and live on the ranch and then also be a vet. And, you know, and, and going through a painful moving, kind of a tearing away from your childhood dream. And that really wasn't anything in the grand scheme of things, as I'm sure you could understand, but painful nonetheless. And then as a couple more years went by, hearing that my dad, who was my hero, I mean, from my, my dad used to wrestle for uh, Washington State. I mean, he was just like, you know, and then he'd get on his horse and just, woo, you know, you know, just looking so cool. And he's just like, that's my dad, you know, driving the cool tractor, you know, and chopping the hay and just like, oh, oh my dad, my dad loved me, loved Jesus. Going on a deep sea fishing trip with him where we slept in the back of the pickup and he couldn't sleep all night going through excruciating pain and we had to leave the trip early and go back to uh, Corvallis where we spent all day in the doctor's office and we found out that he had a grapefruit-sized tumor wrapped around his heart and his lungs and he had Hodgkin's disease as well as other tumors there in his body. So at this point, I'm a fifth grader and my hero, my dad, has this incredible tumor, incredible cancer, they start doing chemotherapy. My dad's hair falls out, you know. My, my dad starts, you know, prednisone, and he just starts swelling up. And then we hear, okay, the tumor's shrinking. Okay, it's shrinking. Oh, no, it's growing again. We've got to get you down there to Stanford University. He's got to have a bone marrow transplant, and you kids can't come with him. You've got to stay and move back to the ranch and be separated from your family for a few months. And so I leave my mom and dad. I go. I'm horrible in school. I can't think. I'm just doing horrible. And dad is going through the process of what they call dying to live, having all of his white blood cells sucked out of his hip bone and coming to the place where, where he was dying so that he could live. And going down finally after months, going and getting to live down at, by Stanford and going through for about a month where the only times I could see him was through a plastic bubble thing unless you scrub, 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 put on all the things, put on the mask, put on the hairnet and walk in and get to be in the same room with him as a fifth grader. And then as that happened and it seemed like the bone marrow transplant had healed him and everything was going well, we got the word that he had a reoccurrence. And so more radiation, more burns under his arms, more burns, you know, more chemo, more, you know, and it starts going away. And then it comes back and then it goes away and it comes back something like four or five times. I remember as a kid having the call to come into the living room and, you know, it's back. And I just remember going into my room and falling on my pillow and crying out, why God? My dad actually got accepted into vet school without an interview. They knew he was an awesome cattleman. They knew he could do it. And they accepted him into vet school at Oregon State while he was in a bone marrow transplant. And he went through vet school with chronic cancer. And back then you had to move to Pullman, Washington for small animal medicine. And as we were in Pullman, first day of school in my seventh grade, my mom pulls up to pick me up and she's got big sunglasses on and tears flowing underneath it. And I knew what it was. And she says, the cancer's back, and this time we've heard that it's spread all over his body. And the doctor said, go back to the ranch, prepare your family, get ready to die. You're going to die. Well, we actually went to a church that said, well, go get ready to die. God doesn't heal today. So my mom's friend said, oh, honey, we got to go across the street to my Pentecostal church. They'll pray for you right now. So we went across the street to that church, and my dad got whacked down on the ground or something like that. And that day... My dad was healed of cancer from Hodgkin's disease and never had Hodgkin's disease again. So as a fifth grader going through times of, oh, ah, 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 for, through seventh grade, going through the agony of watching dad suffer, being without money, it's all going towards medical bills, going to the grocery outlet where they got that special table, you know, that has like the weird blue juice milk or something, like, that didn't work out, let's give it to the poor kid, you know. Going through all of that, but also as a little kid, 
watching your dad be healed miraculously of cancer. That stuck with me all through middle school, all through high school to where I, the Lord got a hold of my heart and I'm preaching the gospel to friends and I'm telling him, you guys, God is real. I've watched him heal and bring some. They used to call my dad Lazarus because they raised him from the dead pretty much. For years, we were able to tell this testimony. My dad was invited to churches to speak and to share that testimony. We rejoiced in the miracle. Until one day I was in Bible college. I was training a cult. Not a cult, a cult. Actually, both was happening at the time. No. I was riding a young horse. And I was going to my truck to ride out to this place. And my truck had a half flat tire. And I was like, is it okay to ride in a half flat tire? Uh, I'll just call my dad. And I call my dad and I get an ambulance and a medic, a paramedic. And he says, I knew him from high school, and he says, Rory, your dad was out sewing up an eye on a horse in a blizzard on the west side of Lakeview, and he's had a stroke or something, and he collapsed and rolled through the blizzard, was able to open his truck and call an ambulance, and, and pretty much from that point on, I quit school of ministry, I had to run to Oregon State campus, find the, find the administration list, find the people, find out where my sister Heather was, run through Oregon State, run into this giant, um, you know, Hall and, and the professor's talking and he looks at me and I say, Heather! And she looks back at me and I say, Dad's sick, we gotta go. And she grabs her stuff and leaves and we drove to Bend to St. Charles where I would end up living for the next few months in a motorhome. While my dad, who had had a stroke, a hemorrhage where basically a side of his brain basically exploded, lost all of the left side of his body, lost his swallowing reflex, his ability to eat, his ability to go to the bathroom. And my Bible college time was done. And I sat there with my dad for months and I helped him with his rehabilitation and we worshiped the Lord together and we talked about how faithful he was through the cancer before. He's just as faithful now. And my dad was able to start moving his hand a little bit, walking a little bit, was able to go home until finally one day he had another stroke that basically just destroyed his brain. And this was a time that at St. Charles over there in Bend, uh, the nurses were on strike. And as my dad was there in one of the hospital rooms, he went into a seizure uh, that there were no nurses there to help. There was one nurse for an entire floor. And so we were the ones that were working on my dad. And she was telling us what to do for him. And she said, we've got to rush him down to surgery. And so we got the gurney and we were running through the hospital to the staff elevator, running my dad down to surgery where we had to make the call. Do we do surgery or do we just let him die if he might live through it? But probably if he lives through it, he'll just be a vegetable for the rest of of your life. Now I'm a 19 year old kid and I've seen God heal him. And we say, hey, let's do the surgery. So we did the surgery and five days went by where there was no brain activity. And we had to come down to that time where we had to make a choice to remove my dad from life support. I'm 19, my sister's 21, my little sister's 15. And we made that call. And we stood in my dad's hospital room at there, there at St. Charles. And we began worshiping the Lord from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And we sang, I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And for the first time in five days, my dad opened his eyes as he went into the presence of the Lord. And you know, I was 19 years old and I've carried that with me. For the rest, pretty much from that point on, I went into ministry and I would go to hospitals and I would go through suffering times with people and just go on and go through. And I could just look at people and say, man, I've maybe not been right where you're at, but I've been through times of anguish and fear and sorrow. And I can tell you that Jesus does what he said he'd do. He never will leave or forsake you. Even in the darkest, most frightening scary times. And you know what I believe today? God has every single one of you in that same place. You're all suffering. You're all going through things. Some are obvious. Some things are physical. Some things are emotional. Some things are sinful. But you're all going through trials and tribulation. And God is sovereignly working something through you so that you can go to someone else and say, I've been there. He is faithful. Don't get your eyes off of him. 
You might say, I understand. I was in bondage to drugs and alcohol too. I understand. I cheated on my wife too. I understand. I lost a child or a spouse or a loved one too. I understand. I was in a war too. I understand. I lost my job. I lost my home. I lost my finger. You can say to someone, I have had an amputation. Let me pray for you, man. God is faithful. Maybe you are suffering and God is preparing you for ministry today. Not only here, but on a global scale. As there are people who've never heard of Jesus Christ. Half of this population of this planet's never even heard his name. They don't know how they can be saved from their sins. They don't know comfort. They've got demon-possessed kids. They've watched demons in the forests and around their house in the swamps appear. And it terrifies them. And they don't know how to be delivered. And we can come and bring them hope. And people are turning to Jesus because he brings a hope that no one else, no Buddha, no Shivalaya can bring. It's in Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, The key of men's hearts hangs up in the narrow chamber of suffering, and he who has not been there can scarcely know the art of opening the recesses of the soul. When you've lost a kid, you can speak into someone's suffering in a way that no one else can. I remember in high school when my girlfriend broke up with me. And, she was the one, you know. Apparently someone else thought that too at the same time. And Okay, anyways. And I remember just depression and And my dad came and sat there with me and he said, Son, I know it hurts, but you know, my dad was married when he was in college. And within 30 days of his marriage, he had an annulment because his wife wouldn't stay at the ranch and went out partying and left him. And so he says, son, I know that you're hurting, but listen to my words. God is faithful. And he has a woman out there just for you. He was able to comfort me in my piddly little girlfriend issues in high school. Kind of hurts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we see that God comforted the downcast of the Corinthian church. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest care, your desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Do you know that in this room there are Tituses, there are Barnabases, sons of encouragement. A year ago this week we had a little baby boy and we named him Titus. We believe that God gave us that name out of 1st and 2nd Corinthians because Titus means comforter. It means encourager. And we named him Titus Heart. And heart means courage. And I believe it was prophetic that we were going to go through one of the hardest years in our ministry lives and that God had brought us this little bundle of joy to come home to every night to smile at us and to just get our eyes off of the tough stuff and to just bring comfort and joy. I believe it's prophetic over his life that he will be one that comforts and encourages my people. But you know what? His name is Titus, but you are all to be Titus hearts comforters and encouragers. Jesus uh, says through Isaiah, comfort, yes, comfort my people. Comfort my people. You guys, we as a church have a, a responsibility to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I'm sorry, but you don't come through this door for you. You come through this door having prayed Saturday night because there's going to be people here that are going through it. Their marriages are hurting. Their bodies are hurting. Their job situations are hurting. They are hurting. And you see it on their face and you see it in their fake face. They're hurting. And they need comfort. Be the one to go to them and pray for them and love on them. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, 
so our consolation and comfort also abounds through Christ. The more suffering we have, which is an abundance, the Bible says, the more abundance of comfort we have. Imagine a chart. Lots of suffering means lots of comfort. Now, believe it or not, not all suffering is bad. We've studied today the theology of suffering, that suffering is actually, God uses suffering. It can be a good thing. And so as more suffering comes to shape us, more comforting and consolation comes so that we can be a light in this world and comfort. Guys, only good comes out of it. No matter what happens, if you are in Christ Jesus, he is working all things together for good. We know it. So bring on the suffering, Lord. Bring on the pain and the anguish and the death. Because the more there is, the more comfort there is that goes out. When my dad died, as a 19-year-old, I stood up in front of a host of people and I preached the gospel. I didn't know what I was going to say. I was in a cow pasture in my truck all night long, crying to God because I didn't know what to say. What do you say at your dad's funeral? And I remember a gal named Joni. Her name was Joni. I thought of her today when I met you, Joni. She was my piano teacher as a little kid. She was there and she was playing a song. And after she played this song, I was supposed to get up and talk. And the whole time she's playing, I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm just crying out for the Lord. I knew the Holy Spirit was the comforter. And that it also says in the same passage that he will give me the words to say when I need to say it. And I was just resting in that. And the piano stopped playing. And I stood up in front of all these people who were kind of waiting, like, what's this guy going to say? And I just opened up my mouth. And the Holy Spirit spoke through me. I, I, I remember being like, almost out-of-body experience, like, where's this coming from? <laughs> you know? And he spoke in such a way that in that church, 40 people raised their hand through my dad's testimony of Jesus Christ's faithfulness to forgive of sins and to walk through all our trials with us because he walked through the trials and has conquered the grave and now he's won the victory for us who wants that and 40 people raised up their hands that day and said i want that and i can comfort people with that in fact i had a woman yesterday at the membership class say to me rory i've just been able to just tell people about jesus and i have a friend that's telling me i don't know how you're always telling people about jesus i can never how do you do that and she says, Rory, I remember what you said about how many times you have to get in front of people and it's go time and it's time to open up your mouth and you don't know what to say, but you just open up your mouth. As Paul said, pray for me that I might open up my mouth and make known the mystery of the gospel. And Rory, that's what I do. I just open up my mouth and the Holy Spirit speaks through me. There's comfort because we've been there. You're going to be there. We learn from each other. Notice the comfort is by God, verse 5, and through Jesus Christ. Verses 6 and 7. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation. By the way, consolation and comfort are the same thing. It's for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we're comforted, it's for your comfort and salvation and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings so also you will partake of the consolation all of our affliction friends all of our oppression and hardship it's for the comfort of you that you'll be able to endure it as well our comfort leads to your comfort. The J.B. Phillips translation of this whole section says, Thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Father and the source of all mercy and comfort. For he gives us comfort in our trials so that we in turn may be able to give the same sort of strong sympathy to others in theirs. Indeed, experience shows that the more we share Christ's sufferings, the more we're able to give of his encouragement. This means that if we experience trouble, we can pass on to you the comfort and spiritual help. 
For if we ourselves have been comforted, we know how to encourage you to endure patiently the same sort of troubles that we ourselves have endured. We are quite confident that if you have to suffer troubles as we have done, then like us, you will find the comfort and encouragement of God. I remember sitting, I was a worship leader at our church in Lakeview when my dad died. And I remember just kind of wanting to throw a short fit against God. And I loaded up this old aluminum boat into my truck and went up to Dead Horse Lake and I skipped church on a Sunday and I skipped leading worship for church and I just kind of was like, I just want to just have a little drama for a minute, okay? And I went up to Dead Horse Lake and I'm rowing around and I'm rowing around and I'm fishing and I'm just kind of like, oh, aren't I supposed to be mad at you right now, God? And I catch this dinky little trout. (laughs) Another thing to be mad at you about, no. And the Lord just there in this boat all by myself in this mountain lake overwhelms me with his mercy and grace. And I go, I can't stay mad at you. And I rode back and I threw my boat in the truck and I headed back to church. We can't stay mad at him. Think of what he's gone through. Think of what he's done. Verse 8 says, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. And maybe that describes your suffering today. Burdened beyond measure. It's the Greek word hyperbole. Hyperbole. Meaning we are going through an extraordinary degree of being weighed down. There's a word picture here. It speaks of a beast falling down finally after that weight of the load that's been placed upon them. Or the ship that's been loaded and loaded and loaded so that the water's beginning to go over the side of the gunwales. We've despaired even of life, Paul says. In other words, I doubt we'll live again. And I'm not even sure I want to. What Paul is talking about here is his ministry that took place in Asia. That was marked by what he called fighting with savage beasts in Ephesus. Having many adversaries. Paul would go through in his missionary lifetime beatings and scourgings that would bring him to the point of death. He would go through shipwrecks multiple times where he would spend nights and days in the deep of the ocean. He'd be bit by snakes. He'd be without clothes. He would be homeless. He would be stoned to death and drug out of a city supposing to be dead where either he was dead, some miracle took place. As they prayed for him, he was brought back to life. From the beginning of his ministry, he went through this. To where he went from being saved out of being a persecutor of Christians to where now none of the Christians want to be friends with him because he was killing them all. And then the other side hates him because they found he becomes a Christian and he goes through a humiliating experience of having to be let down out of a city wall in a basket with a rope. His whole life is marked with burdens upon him beyond measure through the very end. Where he would have people swear that they wouldn't eat day or night until they killed him. Paul can sympathize with you. Jesus can sympathize with you. And others in this room can sympathize with you. Phillips again says, At that time we were completely overwhelmed. And the burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves this was the end. Verse 9 says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You feel like that's you today? The sentence of death has been put upon you. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Does this describe you in your affliction and in your trouble? Why would God bring you to a place where it's as if you've had a death sentence put upon you? Well, the very end of verse 9 tells us. It's so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Some of you are tough cookies. Some of you have strong personalities. Some of you are fighters. 
The problem with that is that so often we rely on our strong fighting spirit, which is not strong enough. And God brings us through times where we come to the end of ourselves to where all we have is him so that he could get all the glory, not me. He wants us to come to a place where we would not trust in ourselves, but in God, the God who's so strong, he can raise the dead. You have the sentence of death? Well, how convenient, because if you'll trust in God, he's the God that raises the dead. I could say, trust in me. I can do 10 push-ups in a row. That's about the only thing I'm strong about. But I can't raise nobody from the dead. And I don't think any of you can either. And God has brought us to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 today to show us that he's brought suffering in sovereignly so that we'll quit trusting in ourselves and trust in him. Verse 10, he delivers us from so great of death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he still will deliver us. There he goes, repeating words again, but it's not bad. Deliver, deliver, deliver three times. He has delivered us from the death of sin that brought spiritual death, which leads to hell. He's delivered us by Jesus, you guys. He does deliver us now from sin and trials. And he will one day ultimately, finally, completely deliver us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he has delivered us from death by sending his son to die for us, oh man, you can be assured he's going to deliver us today and tomorrow and in the end, suffering will not have the final word. Our joy in him will. Last verse today, you guys. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many people on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul's going to share later on in 2 Corinthians all of the different rough stuff that he's gone through. But all throughout his letters, he always writes about how comforting and encouraging prayers were for him. And so we're going to move to a time today where we worship God and we pray for one another. You can put your things aside and we'll have the worship team come back up.